This morning I'm going to begin with the proclamation of God's word. This is Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring." Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. What I want to talk about today is that as the gap between the church and the world grows, we become more like the church in the book of Acts. And so the question that we're going to try to answer is, how should Christians engage with the culture? If the gap between the church and the world continues to grow and we become more like the church in Acts, how then should Christians engage with the culture? And so I want to walk through kind of four steps of how we'll engage with the culture successfully as Christians. So at this point in the book of Acts, just to bring you up to speed, Jesus, like, ascends in the beginning of Acts. But before that, he tells his disciples that they will receive the Holy Spirit from above. And so Pentecost, the day of Pentecost comes, his followers receive the Holy Spirit, and the early church is born. The apostles are performing great signs and wonders, and the church is just growing. And then we get to Paul. And Paul is going around, he's preaching the gospel and planting churches, and we end up with Paul coming to Athens in Greece. And so uh, in 
Acts 17, just verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul is in Athens, the, like the Cambridge of Greece, right? It's full of thinkers and educators and really smart people. And he's waiting for his friends Silas and Timothy there. And so as he's waiting, he walks around the city and he's just kind of checking everything out. And there are shrines to these different gods everywhere. Numerous statues being worshipped and idols being praised. It's important to note that in ancient Greco-Roman culture, it was really held together by their gods. They believed that the gods like, were protectors of their cities and their like, whole economy was really propped up by temple worship of gods and everything like this. And when Paul sees this, it says he's greatly distressed. And greatly distressed here also translates to Paul's spirit being provoked within him. So this is a moment of collision. So the first step I want to talk about of engaging with the culture is to anticipate collisions. Anticipate collisions. The church and the world will always be in opposition to one another. And the Apostle Peter writes about this. He writes about living as a Christian in a broken world. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter, in the New Testament, writes, and he tells us to anticipate these collisions. The church and the world will always be in opposition to one another. And that means we're going to experience these same collisions firsthand in our lives with other people with non-believers, with our culture. In Psalm 69, King David says to God, For I have endured insults because of you, and shame has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons, because zeal for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Remember, Jesus says in John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Anticipate collisions. So Paul sees the many idols and is greatly distressed. And a question that we should reflect on is, am I greatly distressed by the culture that surrounds me? Am I numb to the city full of idols, or does it provoke my spirit? Psalm 119.36 says, My eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction. As citizens of the kingdom, we should be heartbroken over the idea of the worship of false idols that will never give the true belonging or love or meaning or fulfillment that only can be found in God. And if we're opposed to the worship of anything but God, we have to anticipate collisions. I'm going to read Acts 17, 17 and 18 now. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews in Greece and with the God-fearing Greeks, and he also talked to people about Jesus in the marketplace where, where he would set up shop whenever he came to a town to preach. He'd be in the marketplace making tents out of leather and selling them and just being able to talk to his customers and the shoppers about Jesus, which is really cool. And so he starts debating with these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, which are still to this day really popular uh, philosophies that are held by people. 
in the Stoics, they taught that God is found in everything. And so you should be good and right and dutiful and accomplish things and so on. And the Epicureans believed that the gods are distant and far away from us. So we should just enjoy life and be delightful and we're going to die soon. So we should just enjoy ourselves. And that's, that's actually a very common life view still held to this day. And even though what they believed was, was different, the Stoics and the Epicureans, they shared the opinion that Christianity was a made-up, weird philosophy. And this may be how people view your faith even today. 19 and 21 goes on, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the newest ideas. So they took Paul and they brought him to the Areopagus on Mars Hill. Now, the Areopagus was a very important legal council in the Athenian democratic institution. It's very serious. Life, sentences, and executions were decided on Mars Hill. And there on that hill, they asked Paul to teach them about this new thing. And the way Paul presents the gospel here is so interesting, you guys. It is, it's mind-blowing. Pay very close attention to how Paul teaches these Greek philosophers, these very smart, educated people about Jesus. This is the launching pad for the next step in how we as Christians should engage our culture, and that is to look for connections. Look for connections. How can we build a bridge between the church and the world, between the Bible and the world? Let's look how Paul does it. Listen closely to this, verses 22 through 29. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring." Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. And so as we talk about looking for connections, let's look at what Paul did here. In verses 22 and 23, Paul talks to these men and women about very specific things from their own culture. He brings up first one of their idols, one of the things that their culture is into, something they live and experience every day is what he brings up. He brings up their altar to an unknown God. And he draws a connection from the unknown God to the Bible. He says, your unknown God, the Bible makes known. He also quotes one of their own famous Greek poets, Aratus, in a conversation about our relationship to God. He tells them, like, your own poets write about how we're made in the image of God here. So Paul looked for connections that could be made between the Bible and between the Greek culture. Paul didn't hate these people. He didn't talk down to them. He got to know them, and he got to know what they loved, and he redirected them towards God. 
Looking for connections means approaching people differently based on the circumstance. Paul didn't approach them and tell them that they were sinners and that they needed a savior to atone for their sins because they weren't Jews. These people aren't Jews. They had no palate for that. So Paul spoke to them in a way that would resonate. You know, he says, people of Athens, I see that you're very religious in every way. Paul sees the love of knowledge and wisdom and religion here. He just had to redirect it towards God. He just needed to walk with them and unlock the truth for them in a way they'd understand. Looking for connections means talking to people like we care about them because we should care about them. You know, it's a very bizarre evangelism strategy to despise the very people you're trying to convert to Jesus. Paul didn't beat them over the head with his Bible. He held their hand and he walked them into the truth in a way that they could understand. And this makes me think of a line from the book, The Little Prince. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Paul didn't approach these people and say, you're wrong, you're bad, you're sinful. Do this, this, and this, and you'll be fixed. Instead, he pointed them towards the beauty of God and creation. He said, look at the God who created everything and you're made in his image. And this is the God who gave you breath and life and all these things. He wants them to long for God. Verses 30 through 34 says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people who became followers of Paul believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. And so the third step I want to talk about, about engaging the culture as a Christian, is to engage in conversation. Engage in conversation. See, Paul never watered down the gospel. He looked for connections. He drew connections from the Greek culture to the Bible, and he said the gospel in a way that they would understand, but he never waters it down. He says in verse 23 that there's one God and that you can know him. And that one God made everything, created the whole world and gave us our life and our breath, and that that God doesn't need our temples or our statues. And then in verse 30, Paul lays it on the line and says that Jesus' resurrection proves that God will judge us one day. So he invites the people at the Areopagus to repent. You see, Paul had to engage in conversation here. The resurrection of Jesus was not a common or an acceptable idea. Paul gets interrupted while he's teaching this. He gets ridiculed and sneered at. But Paul doesn't become a jerk about this. He engages in conversation. He doesn't, he doesn't mean to these people. He doesn't hate these people, even though they make fun of him. He engages in conversation. He shares the good news of the one creator, God, and he invites them to repent and believe. And in verses 32 to 34, we see the outcome of this. Verses 32 to 34 says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed, and among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. 
The last point I want to talk about of engaging the culture is to expect division. We have to expect division because the gospel requires a response. You can't be neutral to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospels in the book of Acts are authored and constructed in a way that requires a decision to be made. The gospels are these biographical stories of Jesus that are written to end in a way that makes you think, I have to choose whether or not I believe this or not. It's a life-changing set of books. And so there are really three responses to the gospel, and we see all three of these in this very passage. In verse 32, we see some people say that it's nonsense. They make fun of Paul for it. They think it's silly. They think it's fake, and they let the gospel pass them by. We also see people say that they'd like to hear more about it. They want to stay with Paul, and they want to hear more about Jesus, which is very cool. And then we see the third response in verse 34. We see that some of the people believed in Jesus and they, they joined Paul as a Christian. And this included some very high-ranking men and women that belonged to the legal council that Paul was brought before. So people either, they write Jesus off, they ask to learn more because they're interested in the gospel, or they believe and they repent. And so as the gap between the church and the world grows, we become more like the church in Acts. And because of that, how can we engage the culture that we are being separated from? We do it by anticipating collisions. Because we're a new creation separate from the world, we should expect collisions to happen. And when those happen, what do we do? We look for connections because we should love and care for people as Jesus taught us. We shouldn't leave them to be lost. We should seek to connect with them in a way that they'll understand. Thirdly, we engage in conversation, teaching other people the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. And lastly, we should expect division because the gospel requires a response. If you're in one of those places today, we want to offer an invitation to you. There are men and women at this church, members and leaders, that want to talk to you and hear from you and pray with you. If you're in the position in response to the gospel that you need to hear more, then please talk to us. Let us know. Reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. And eventually, from that position, the question is asked, is it time to decide? You know, is it time to decide whether you'll believe the good news and follow Jesus? And if you're in the position today of a believer, a follower of Jesus, then we want to invite you as well and say, how will you tell this message to other people? Look at the example of Paul. We can take after Paul's example right here in the scripture we read today. We can become an advocate for people. We can let them know that there's a God that loves them and cares for their soul. We, all of us as believers, have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus carried with him on earth. And like Paul, we can cultivate deep, meaningful relationships with people that fertilize the soil uh, for life-changing gospel conversations to take place. And this morning, I want to pray that God will lead us to do that. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for... Paul's mission in Acts and what that means for us still today. We thank you for just the outline that Luke writes for us, that Paul went through in Athens, just the outline of how to evangelize people who sneer at the gospel, God. So just please grant us the boldness and the courage to go out into a culture that's 
farther and farther separated from the church every day to go out into that culture and to evangelize people, to teach them the gospel in a way that doesn't speak down to them and outcast them, but speaks to them in a way that they can understand and understand that they are loved and wanted by the church and by Jesus. God, we pray that this week our faith would be fiery, that we wouldn't be surprised when we encounter opposition, that we would anticipate collisions, God, that we would look for connections with the people that we collide with, that we would engage in conversation with them, and that we would present the gospel in a way that requires a decision to be made. We love you so much, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.